This is Celebration Church, but it's more than just a building or a church. We have a calling to be a place where people can find a relationship with God instead of religion. A place where freedom is found and acceptance given, and every person can discover their purpose and experience the kind of fulfillment only God can give. Together we will raise, lead, and empower a generation to change the world. Here, Jesus is famous, and all the glory goes to God. This is celebration. This is our family. Welcome home. Voila! <laughs> right, thank you. Welcome tonight. I'm reading from Luke chapter 1. The scripture says, His father Zechariah was filled with the Holy Spirit and prophesied. Praise be to the Lord, the God of Israel, because he has come to his people and redeemed them. He has raised up a horn of salvation for us in the house of his servant, David, as he said through his holy prophets of long ago, salvation from our enemies and from the, the hand of all who hate us, to show mercy to our ancestors and to remember his holy covenant, the oath he swore to our father Abraham, to rescue us from the hand of our enemies and to enable us to serve him without fear in holiness and righteousness before him all our days. As Pastor Mark was sharing on Sunday, this is the season of Advent. And it's all about celebrating the fact that God has come into the world and to look for in, in anticipation the fact he's coming again, that Jesus is coming again. Actually, it's the start of the Christian calendar. So, Happy New Year. <laughs> we get two as Americans. <laughs> the word Advent actually comes from the Latin word Adventus, Adventus, which is translating from a Greek word or translates into a Greek word, parousia which most of you will probably notice that it's used in reference to the second coming of Jesus Christ, the parousia. Advent anticipates the coming of God into the world from two different perspectives. One, the season offers us an opportunity to share in the ancient longing that rested in the Jews for thousands of years as they anticipated the coming of Messiah. So we read texts if you go with the, the, the readings that are often put, you can Google Advent readings, and you can read along day by day the various texts that speak of this anticipation of the coming, the first coming of Messiah. And we're invited to relive those moments along with God's people, the Jews, and to try to enter in and share with them the longing that they anticipated. Secondly, the Advent season urges us to engage with that same longing we taste from the longing for the first coming into the longing for the Messiah's second coming. And that we practice opening our hearts in anticipation of and waiting for Messiah. We're to enter a shared longing with the saints of the Old Covenant. And that longing is described as, it's really describing a kind of ache a spirit of expectation, of anticipation, of preparation. And it has kind of a dark twist in it in the Christian tradition, not unlike a barren couple's longing for a child, aching and wanting to have birth 
it, that a thing that often cuts them, a longing that often cuts them to the core, that in some ways, Advent is to carry a darkness in it. There's, you know, we're to intentionally enter a kind of achy feeling of absence, of recognizing that things are not quite right because Messiah is not here. And we're to participate and practice that in a way during the season of Advent. In our culture, we tend to only think about the season surrounding Christmas as jolly, right? As a time to be happy and be nice to other people, kind of a Tinseltowny kind of thing. And there's, that's beautiful, but there's a deeper side that we're to participate in as actual Christ followers. Of course, we should want to be kind and generous. We, we know, though, that things are not as they should be. And we recognize that they won't be as they should be. Rights will not, wrongs will not be put to right until Christ returns. So at the beginning of the Advent, we are called to focus on hope. That's why we light the hope candle, which you did on, on Sunday morning. Hope is the belief that there is more. It's beautiful. There's a text in the Old Testament in 2 Chronicles where the prophet is talking to Amaziah the king. And as he's talking with them, it's an unnamed prophet. The prophet says to him, as he's asking, what do we do about the trouble we're facing? The prophet says to him, the Lord has much more for you than this. The Lord has much more for you than this. What if that's true for us? What if part of hope that we're to entertain is that we're to think, you know what? God has much more than what we see in our world. Even when we don't feel hopeful, in the midst of pain, in the midst of injustice, in the midst of heartache, in the midst of the awareness that evil in all shapes and sizes is roaming across the world, yet the advent of Christ means it will not rain forever. Amen. <laughs> the church calls us in this season to enter into feelings that we don't necessarily naturally feel on our own at the moment. This is what is at the heart of why many evangelical and charismatic leaders are beginning to prioritize the Christian calendar and to listen to the way it instructs us. Because we're called to submit ourselves to the biblical story which the calendar celebrates. There are ideas and perspectives and hopes and promises that are hoisted up in various Christian seasons that end up pressing on us and end up forming us if we let them. So this week as we focus on hope, two perspectives are to emerge. One is we're to sit actually and assess and be honest about the pain that's around us. The pain that is present because Christ has not yet come. We're to let it touch us. We, and then we're to secondly long for Christ's appearing precisely because we need God to put to right all that is wrong in our world. The thing that will fix humanity is beyond human politics. It is. I mean, though we should engage in and, and practice good politics, I'm not against that. We should engage. But that's not our final, that's not really the answer for the world. The thing that will fix us is beyond all human capacity. We always, as human beings, miss the mark. We sense what should be. We understand and perceive beauty. We understand and perceive love. We understand and perceive what injustice or justice is on various levels. All human beings do. But yet, even though we see and sense those things, we always, even if we head for them, miss the mark. You know what that word, miss the mark? It's harmatia in Greek, and it means sin. All sin really is 
is missing the mark of God's dream for the fullness of a human life. And, and what, what we understand is this awareness that we think of when we think about the pain and the longing for Messiah, it, it's at the heart of what the Jews were feeling in that first advent, which culminated in Jesus appearing in a manger. The Jews openly taste it, and they gave voice to their pain throughout the Old Covenant. You see it in the Psalms, to be sure, but you see it in texts like Exodus 2, 23. During that long period, the king of Egypt died, and the Israelites groaned in their slavery, and they cried out. They didn't stuff it. They didn't ignore it. They didn't pretend all was fine. But they cried out, and their cry for help because of their slavery went up to God. There's something so powerful about not skipping over the pain that you experience or see around you in the lives of others. We need to stop and sit in it until it bruises us. The word vulnerability comes from the Latin word vulnus, which means wound. To be vulnerable means you're open to the wrongs of the world wounding you, touching you, grieving you. This is modeled in stories like the Job story. You remember, it's a horrible story, and yet it has beauty in it as well. But in Job 2.11, this is where Job's three friends, Eliphaz and the Temanite and Bildad the Shuhite, which means he was just a little guy. <laughs> that was a bad joke, I know. <laughs> Nehemiah was also short, but anyway, <laughs> and Zophar the Namathite heard about all the troubles that had come upon him and they set out from their homes and they met together by agreement to go and to sympathize with Job to comfort him and when they saw him from a distance they could hardly recognize him they began to weep out loud and they tore their robes and sprinkled dust on their heads and then they sat on the ground with him for seven days and seven nights no one said a word because they saw how great his suffering was. We often don't let the suffering of others really touch us. We move so quickly to a fix. I don't think we evangelicals and charismatics really do this well because we're pain avoiders. For example, we tend to skip Golgotha and want to go directly to resurrection. So Easter, which is the highest attended service in America by Christians, you know what the least attended service is in America by Christians? Good Friday. But this was not so with the Jews. They stopped at the pain, and they felt it. They pondered it, and they articulated it to God. This is one of the reasons that we're called into an Advent season. We're being summoned by the church to give voice to the pain that we see and the pain that we feel and to acknowledge that the only complete hope we have is in God's appearing. There's an art to embracing pain, to not move too quickly to a fix, to not run from what ails you, to admit that there are things greater than you and to enter those until you're vulnerable with vulnerability. We need to enter the reality of pain that's in the world to let it hurt us, because it's real. We need to stop and look at our disappointments and our losses, the unanswered prayers, our offenses and our betrayals, the places where life has not been kind or not been fair. 
And then we look, need to look at the pain and the injustice in the wider world around us, where the hungry stand in the midst of the overfed, the war-torn places, where innocents are unfairly prejudiced against or abused, where industry is willing to destroy the planet for a dollar. We need to remember the plight of the unemployed or the overworked, that there's so much injustice around us in the world. All these things make us realize that we're in a broken place. Somewhere in the midst of staring at that pain and letting it touch us, feeling its wounds and dancing with its hopelessness, we realize that we need more than human engagement. We need the Lord. And this is where we start to entertain hope, our first candle. It's the fruit of the Spirit. Oddly, entering into hopelessness, the angst that was the Jews were uh, living as they, as they talked about and, and thought about what was going on in their lives, it caused a hunger for Christ's first appearing. After being, it's to do the same for us as we await for his second appearing. After being wounded by the pain and made hopeless, we begin to dance with hope. Hosea 2 says, in verse 15, God says, I will make the valley of Achor a door of hope. The valley of Achor, a door of hope. Achor means the place where things get muddy or they're sort of, the word is turbid. It, it, it's, it's a cloudy, opaque, kind of thick liquid with a bunch of suspended matter in it. It's just goop, right? And it, it throws back to the image of Genesis 1 where there's darkness over the surface of the deep and there's chaos, and yet the Holy Spirit was there. Achor is a description of things that, that are happening that make you feel dejected, that you have no strength to even entertain hope for a change, and yet right there God says, I will make that place, the Valley of Achor, the very door for hope. That's adventing well, that's the fruit of it, is that you begin to realize, even though there's an aching in the world, there is the promise that Jesus Christ is coming. That was weak. Amen. <laughs> One more idea I'd like to leave for you to consider tonight, and that's that most of us in this culture always try to be honest about how we feel right now. And we try to be honest with our feelings, and we think we're being genuine when we just represent those feelings. Sometimes we feel happy, so we want to act happy. Sometimes we feel sad, and we think to try to embrace happiness is, is disingenuous. And in some ways, that's true. Um, but we think that wearing our feelings on our sleeves is being honest about life. But spirituality demands something more than responding to emotions. It demands that we live past how we feel at any given moment and realize that we are called to feel the feelings not just of ourselves, but of others. That, that when we don't necessarily feel those feelings ourselves, we are to enter into shared feelings. We are to be open in our hearts to feeling differently than we actually feel ourselves. It's called empathy. Letting others' feelings and experiences touch us. This demands, again, vulnerability. Becoming vulnerable means that I'm going to let what you're experiencing, what you're feeling, to be in charge over what I'm feeling. I'm going to let what's going on around me influence me, saying to you, you can change me as you share your experience with me. Again, this is one of the main functions. 
and wise of celebrating the Christian calendar. The various seasons carry very various theological goals. In these seasons, we're letting the story that we're part of, the story of Jesus, the story of redemption, the story of the communion of the saints, change us. We enter into their story and their experiences and let them impact us. This is a different kind of spirituality, I know, certainly from what I grew up with as a charismatic. It's a deeper, more demanding kind. It demands participating in things I don't feel like participating in. In participating in the darkness longing of Advent or the joy of Christmas when I may not feel joyful or the tide of excitement from Epiphany that happens in January where we're getting excited about God, how God reveals himself when I don't necessarily feel excited at all. But I let myself be drawn into that. Or the worst part, the repentance of Lent. Where even though you may not feel like repenting, you might feel like everything's just, you just, you let it pull you in. You let it commandeer you. You let it grab you. We're to be vulnerable to allow darkness or joy or excitement or repentance to touch us out of season for us. When we're not naturally feeling those feelings. This is not a privatized aspect of our faith. This is, that we're pointing to here, it's the corporate side of our faith, where we get conscripted by the biblical story or the church's history into feelings and focus points we don't naturally find ourselves focusing or feeling. There's a text in John that's instructive about this idea. This is John recording how Jesus spoke to Peter right before he leaves and talks to Peter about whether he loved him or not, gives him three times to respond like Peter denied Jesus three times. It's kind of a beautiful way of healing Peter's soul, most uh, scholars think. But it says the third time, this is verse 17 of John 21, the third time Jesus said to him, Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me? It's the third time. Peter was hurt. Jesus asked him a third time, do you love me? He said, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. And Jesus said, feed my sheep. And then he says, verily, truly, I tell you, when you were younger, you dressed yourself and you went where you wanted to go. But when you were old, and we could in, put in there mature, you will stretch out your hands and someone else will dress you and someone else will lead you where you do not want to go. Now this text speaks on a couple of levels, all texts do. On one level, the direct literal level, he's speaking of Peter's death. But on another level, scholars have suggested that this might be pointing or suggesting two different kinds of spirituality that allow the will of God to play out in our lives. The first kind of spirituality is all about us dressing ourselves spiritually and going where we want to go. It's a beautiful thing. This is loving God with the stuff that resonates personally with us as individuals. Some of you may love coming and just singing worship at church or being part of small groups. I love to read. I love to study. I crave it, actually. It's me dressing up myself and running where I want to go. It's amazing. I love it. I have a friend who feels closest to God when he's out in nature, more than when he goes to church, though he goes to church. But there's some sense in which he finds the smile of God and the presence of God more in that kind of context. Or, and, and we have the right to love God in those kinds of ways. I have another friend who feels closest to God when she's serving people in some way, more than reading her Bible or personal prayer, even though she does those things. But she finds most resonance in certain things and she loves to participate in that. This kind of spirituality where I get to love God the way I want to love God is so critical. 
It's an absolute central part of our spirituality. I, I think this is the first love kind of expression of our faith. Jesus, through, uh, Revelation 3, Jesus warns us to never lose that. I think it's so critical that you get to love God how you like to love God. With all your heart and all your mind and all your soul and all your strength, you get to frame that out. You get to dress yourself and you get to go where you want to go. But then this text also suggests another kind of spirituality. One that makes demands on you, that captures you, where someone else dresses you and tells you where to go where you do not want to go. And it's referred to as the thing that happens after you hit maturity. This is the confining, constricting, disciplined spirituality that leads us to life. Some spiritual stuff seems easy and fun to us. Other stuff you're invited into, it doesn't feel good. And I think we're supposed to participate in both. So whether you feel like it or whether you don't, up your longing for Jesus this season. We're Advent people. <laughs> we don't know when Jesus is coming back. I mean, it could be 10,000 years, right? You know, you say, well, I think it's sooner. Well, so did they 2,000 years ago. I mean, I, I'm not trying to bust your bubble, and I think he could come at any time, but I don't know, right? It doesn't really matter when, because our job is clear. We're to live in expectation and longing for his appearing. And somehow when we do that, it causes a, oh, an, a, an effect on our souls and our hearts and on the way we conduct ourselves. He that has this hope in himself, John said, purifies himself as, you know, as God is pure. So there's, and I think that this is the expectation that we're to bring with us into Christmas. <laughs> it's, what, it's what they long for all those thousands of years as Jews. And all of a sudden, he came. You remember the story, Luke 2, we'll celebrate it in just a couple of weeks. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. And an angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them. And they were freaked out, terrified. But the angel said to them, don't freak out, don't be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. Today, in the town of David, a Savior that you've been longing for has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You'll find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger suddenly. A great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest and on earth peace to those on whom his favor rests. It happened once. He came. It will happen again. The New Testament ends with these words, Revelation 22, 20. He who testifies to these things says, yes, I am coming soon. Amen. And then John writes, come, Lord Jesus. This Advent, as we begin this new year, as we enter the story of the Christian, the Christian story, starting with the birth of Christ and the anticipation of the birth of Christ, let Advent and Christmastide and Epiphany and Lent and Eastertide and Pentecost, let those things form you. Love God like you like to, but let us drag you in to loving God more fully, more maturely. Amen.